Good morning. Thanks for that uh, song, Chad. I sprung that song on Chad kind of last minute, so he was able to put it together, that last one, Solid Rock. It's a great introduction to our message of hope for today. I'm excited that we can uh, be together here, and for those of you online, together uh, on this first Sunday of Advent. I've always enjoyed the traditional uh, yearly, we do this, we do the candle lighting every year. Uh, thanks, Tom, and, and uh, I think we're going to have other special guests throughout the, the time. We had the Herodos this week. I think we have some other special guests that will be joining us over the week. I'm excited about that. So we've done this. We do this yearly uh, for, for many years. And so at Bridges, I think we have a pretty good understanding of what Advent is. But let me just restate it as we begin this uh, four-part mini-series on Advent. So what is Advent? As Tom said, the word Advent from the Latin uh, to come, coming. So for Christians, Advent is really has become uh, this celebration of Christ's coming. And we can celebrate His coming in, in three distinct ways. Uh, three distinct time frames, if you will. First, Advent is a celebration, a commemoration, a remembrance of His coming in our past. This is what we traditionally think of when we talk about Advent or, or Christ's coming. This is why we celebrate Advent at Christmas. This is the miraculous, historical entry of God into our world. The incarnation. This is Emmanuel, God with us. The Gospels describe this coming in some detail. In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, we read of Christ's initial coming in the past, in our past. And she, Mary, gave birth to, to her firstborn son, Jesus, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Very familiar passage. This is the coming in the past. This is the, the Christmas story. This is the nativity scene. So first, Advent celebrates Christ's coming in our past. Then second, and this is not going to be in chronological order, we celebrate and look forward to Christ's coming in our future. Advent looks ahead. It looks in anticipation uh, to, the, the, uh, the, to Christ's physical return to this world that He created. This has been called the, the second advent in Matthew 24, 27. Jesus promised His disciples, for as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. One day, Christ will physically come again in such a way that all will, all will see, all will know, all will be aware of His return. So advent refers to Jesus' first and His second physical comings into our world which is our past and our future. But because of who Christ is, because He is the eternal Son of God, because He desires to have relationship with you and I, with His people, Advent is more than a past event to commemorate or a future event to anticipate. We need to know that Jesus offers to come, to come to us now to come to us today, to come to us in our suffering, in our pain, 
to come to us wherever we find ourselves. So third, and really most applicable for us today, we celebrate His coming in our present. Do you know that Christ offers to come to you today? In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, famous for being lukewarm, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's, he's, he wants to come in. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus says, I will come into him. I will come into you. This is an offer for every person who will trust in him. All who will open the door of their life to Christ, he will come in and eat with you. This is symbolic of the, the fellowship, the relationship, the, the transformation that He offers to all who trust in Him. So Advent is the, the celebration, the commemoration of Christ coming into our world in our past. It's the celebration and anticipation of Christ coming into our world again in the future. And it's the uh, celebration that we can experience Christ coming into our lives uh, right now, in the present. Amen? So over the next four weeks, we're going to uh, celebrate Advent, uh, Christ coming together. And by celebrate, uh, I mean more than parties and balloons and jumping for joy, uh, uh, because 2020 is almost over, possible vaccine for COVID-19 on the way. The celebration, that, that's a cause for celebration, Right? But the celebration that we're going to have centers uh, not on circumstances, but on Christ. It involves giving praise and honor and glory to Him, celebrating Him for His advent, for His coming. And this celebration is not dependent on our circumstances. Even if, God forbid, 2021 is somehow worse than 2020, we can and must rejoice in the coming of Christ. So beginning uh, this Sunday and for the next three Sundays, that's what we're going to do. And each week to reinforce our celebration, I'm going to focus on, on one of the, the themes of Advent. Those themes are our hope and peace, joy and love. Isn't it worth celebrating that when Christ comes, He not only brings forgiveness of sin, salvation, eternal life, but He brings a new life today. A, a changed heart now. And this new life includes uh, experiencing true hope, true peace, true joy, and true love. That's why in Romans 5.13, which we looked at a few weeks ago, the Apostle Paul can pray this for the church in Rome and the, the church in Riverside. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Paul prays that Christians will be filled with joy and peace and hope. And notice these, 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 these emotions, these feelings, these, these ways of being, if you will, do not come because of a change of circumstances. Hope comes from a God of hope. We hope because God is a God of hope and the, and the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit empowers us to hope. The Spirit indwells us and because of that we can hope. And, and both joy and peace come by believing, by trusting in Jesus Christ. And along with love, 
Paul doesn't mention love in this prayer, but you know, if you've read Romans, it's filled with love. Romans 8, just to mention one chapter. These are the themes of Advent. Because these, I believe, summarize much, if not all, of what Christ brings to those who trust in Him. The coming of Christ is the coming of hope into our lives. The coming of peace with God. The coming of joy in Christ. And the coming of of love for God and love for people. That's what we celebrate over uh, over this, this week and the next three Sundays. And then on Christmas Eve... Uh, we'll come together again. And, and the plan is currently to come together outside, as we've done in the past, uh, past two, two months, had an outside service. We plan to do that on, on Christmas Eve, to come together outside. So get your blankets, your jackets, uh, and we'll celebrate one final time. I mean, it's not final. We celebrate this weekly, don't we? But in this season of Advent, we'll celebrate one final time, the, the coming of Christ. So on this, the first Sunday of Advent, would you join me in prayer as we celebrate the coming of hope? Father God, I pray that that you would just be with us. Lord, if we're we're here in in this building, if we're watching online, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Lord, maybe we're feeling uh, depressed about something. Maybe we're having difficulty. Our circumstances are not what we want them to be, Lord. I pray that you would help us to understand what hope is and that you would bring that hope into our lives, Lord. That you would use your word, the truth of your word, the truth of who you are, of who you've revealed yourself to be, a God of hope, to bring hope into our lives today and in days to come. In Christ's name. Amen. So we're celebrating hope, and I want to begin by asking the question, uh, what is hope? We've talked about this uh, a number of times recently as we've studied through the book of Romans. Uh, Paul mentions, he uses this word hope 16 times. In a book with 16 chapters, that's averaging one, one time a chapter. But let me review what we've talked about in the past uh, in defining hope. In the English language, uh, we tend to use the word hope to express our desires or our wishes, right? I, I hope I get a new computer for Christmas. I hope uh, they develop uh, a good COVID-19 vaccine quickly. I hope grandma is, is okay. And it's fine to hope in this way, to have wishes and desires, but this is not the way the word hope is used in Scripture, the Hebrew and the Greek words translated to the, that we translate to English hope do have the idea of, of looking to the future, uh, to looking for to something we desire. But they also include the idea of confidence in that desire. Hope in Scripture is a strong and confident expectation. We find this kind of hope throughout, uh, throughout the Psalms. In Psalm 119, verse 66, I hope for, I'm confident in your salvation, O Lord. Hope in Scripture doesn't mean we wish something might happen. It means that we trust something will happen. Now, if hope isn't just something we, we want or desire or wish for, but instead something we have a strong, confident expectation of, there must be a basis for our hope, right? We can't just choose, uh, I hope for this, 
uh, with a strong, confident expectation. I, I can't have a strong, confident expectation that I will win the lottery. First of all, you have to play to win, and, and I don't do that. And, and second, even if I played, the odds are not in my favor. There's no basis for me to hope that I'll win the lottery. On the other hand, I can hope. I can have a strong, confident expectation that my wife will continue to love me. Because there's a basis for that hope. Uh, she's loved me for over 35 years so far. Well, maybe she took a couple years off. I don't know. I don't know. She tells me she loves me on a regular basis, and she demonstrates love for me. So I can say with a strong and confident expectation that Christina will continue to love me in the future. Hope must have a basis uh, in something or someone that you trust. I trust my wife, so I have a sure hope that she will continue to love me. Now, the hope of Advent is a strong, uh, confident expectation in Jesus Christ. Hope is a hope in His coming and in what His coming has and will accomplish in our world and in our lives. Our hope in Jesus Christ who came in our past to give uh, His life for the sins of many. Our hope is in Jesus Christ who comes in our present in our present lives, providing salvation and transformation. Our hope is in Jesus Christ who will come again in the future, in our future, to set all things right, to call His people to Himself for all eternity, to redeem all things. And our hope is, is based on something that's even more trustworthy than my wife. Our hope is based on God's Word. That's our first point of, of hope this morning. Or, or you could say our hope is based in God and what He reveals in His Word. Remember Romans 15.4. Not too long ago we looked at this verse. The Apostle Paul wrote, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope a strong, confident expectation. Paul's speaking of what was written in the Old Testament. The words of the Old Testament were written that we might have hope. God's Word gives us hope that, that as we read what He's done in the past, as we see the fulfillment of His promises through endurance and through the, the encouragement of Scriptures written in the past, we have hope in the present and in the future. Our hope is based in the Word of God, specifically the promises of, of God's Word, and more specifically, the promises of Christ's coming. The Old Testament has, has many promises, prophecies, related to the coming Messiah, the Savior. The first promise comes shortly after the fall. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 15. Just a little context. Let's begin in verse 9 of Genesis 3. This takes place right after Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were commanded not to do that. So they've disobeyed God for the first time. In Genesis 3, 9 and 10 we read, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. We see Adam and Eve experiencing fear 
uh, because of their disobedience. They're feeling the reality that their sin has broken relationship with God. Up until this point, they're, they're ex- they experience nothing but fellowship with the Lord. Walking with Him. Talking with Him in the garden. But now they, they can only run and hide. And when confronted, they make excuses for their sin. Verses 12 and 13. The man said, the woman whom you gave to, me, to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Passing the buck. Adam and Eve are in a horrific situation. The tragedy of which we, I don't even think we comprehend. They have, in a matter of moments, gone from walking with the living God uh, to running from this God that they now fear. They must be confused, disoriented, and desperate. But God isn't surprised. And God is ready, even in this tragic time, even to these uh, disobedient people, He's ready to give hope. And in verse 15, God says to the serpent, Adam and Eve listening in, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The serpent has tempted the woman and God will judge the serpent. But the judgment will come through a man through the offspring of the woman. Uh, And yes, I I know this is a somewhat veiled promise of the Messiah. I don't think Adam and Eve at that moment understood the full implications of what God was promising. But He was giving them hope. Hope of one who would defeat their tempter, the serpent. Hope of one who would conquer the sin that that had been unleashed. The sin that, 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 that they were now experiencing the consequences of. Immediately after the fall, Adam and Eve and their offspring, including all of us, were put in, in what would, could have been a hopeless situation, a hopeless state. They, we, were corrupted by sin and therefore had no way of saving ourselves. God would have to intervene. And throughout the Old Testament especially the prophets, especially Isaiah, we find words of hope. Words that assured God's people that that one day a Savior would come. Listen to God's Word and and let your hope increase. In Isaiah 7.14, the prophet writes, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call His name Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 9, uh, verse 2 and 6, we read, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These and other words and promises in the Old Testament gave hope to the children of Israel. And now as we read the New Testament, the Gospels, we see the fulfillment of these promises in Christ. And we too can be filled with hope. The promise of the Messiah has been filled in Jesus Christ. The Word of God proclaims that Christ has come. 
that Christ continues to come, and that Christ will come again and give us hope. That gives us hope. Without the Word, we would have no basis for this hope. But even with the Word, not, not everyone hopes in Christ. However, I think this is a, a, an important principle for us to understand. Hope is available uh, to the needy. To the needy. Or, or should I say, hope is available to those who realize, see, are confronted by their need. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God, right? Those who know their need, they're poor in spirit. Before we can hope for a Savior, we must understand our need. If someone does not know their need, uh, the, the need, their need to be saved, and they will have no reason to hope for the promised Savior. This became very clear to me uh, one Christmas when we lived in Thailand. Christmas is not a Thai holiday, uh, and some Thai people don't know anything really about it, but they're often curious. So as missionaries, the, uh, the, the Christmas even season often provides us with a great opportunity to share the gospel. And so one Christmas, our team decided we would put together, uh, do costumes, and, and put together a nativity play as an outreach event to show people, uh, you know, because in Bangkok especially, there would be Santas and things in the malls. They've imported that, but we wanted to show people, okay, that's not really Christmas. This is Christmas. And I was charged uh, with writing this play in English and then translating it with help into Thai. And as I began to write of Jesus' birth, it dawned on me that I was starting the play in uh, the second act. I was starting the play with the entrance of the hero, uh, but I hadn't established the need for the hero to be there. Why did the Savior have to be born in a manger? Why this uh, rigmarole? Why this traveling from, uh, to, to Bethlehem? So I backed up, and I wrote the first act. And the stars were none other of the first act were none other than... Christina, do you remember? Oh, sorry. We've mentioned them. Adam and Eve, right? I showed the initial uh, loving relationship they had with God. I showed the fall the break in the, their relationship with God, and I showed that humanity by itself was now without hope. Then and only then did it make sense to introduce the Savior. Once the need is seen, then we, then we get, can, can give hope that the Savior will come. Until we truly understand our need for a Savior, until we truly understand our sinful rebellion against God, until we come to terms with uh, our own terrible situation, then we cannot experience the hope that God offers. The promises of God, of God's Word to save us from our sin are meaningless until we acknowledge our sinfulness. We can't experience hope in Christ until we understand our hopelessness without Christ. So we must establish the fact that without Christ, our situation is hopeless. We must establish our need. This is actually uh, Evangelism 101. If you're going to share the gospel with someone, you have to first establish their need. They have to know that they're a sinner before God. 
We've already seen the effects of the fall in the lives of Adam and Eve. The power of sin was unleashed in the world, and it brought with it the horrible consequences of death. And that consequence continues to haunt Adam's uh, descendants. In 1 Corinthians 15.22, the Apostle Paul writes, For as in Adam all die, sin and death are our inheritance from our parents, Adam and Eve. We are born into sin and we prove we're sinners by the way we live, by our individual sins. I, I know it's not popular to talk about sin, but, but do you understand just how sinful, how needy you are and I am? Just how incapable we are of standing before a holy God. Our problem is uh, we think we're okay because we compare ourselves to, to one another. And there's always someone worse than me. I mean, if you need to, you can always go for Hitler, right? There's always someone worse. But we need to understand that God doesn't grade on a curve. God's standard is not an average of the people around you. God's standard is complete, total obedience to Him. God's standard is perfection. So before, you go, before we go on, let me just illustrate how deep our need is. Let me show you show how we all fail to live up to God's holy standards. Let's just look at one command, just one. Suppose there was only one command in the Bible. The one that Jesus called the greatest commandment. Let's take that one. It's initially given to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5. It is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. We are commanded the children of Israel, and then later all who are God's people, are commanded to love God completely, totally, fully with everything we have. But uh, do you guys see a problem there? Yeah. We, all of us, uh, love other things. At times, hopefully those times become less, but at times we love other things more than God. Ourselves maybe being the primary example. We love our reputation. We love our kids. Great. Our grandkids. We love our stuff. And this is sin. To dishonor God by preferring, by loving other things over Him. It's not a sin to love other things. It's a sin to love other things above the Lord. And we've all done it. And we continue to do it. I do. That's why Paul in Romans 3.23 can write with confidence, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of God's glory. We fall short of glorifying God as He deserves. God deserves the worship and honor of all peoples. We talked about that uh, last week, was it? of all tribes and all tongues and all peoples. And we glorify and we honor and we praise what we love most. And all too often that isn't God. And this is sin. And it's a big deal. John Piper puts it this way, sin is not, a, is not small because it's against God. The seriousness of an insult rises with the dignity of the one insulted. 
The creator of the universe is infinitely worthy of respect and admiration and loyalty. Therefore, failure to love him is not trivial, it is treason. And we know the penalty for treason, at least in most places, it's coming up here. And because our sin is so great, God has every right to judge us. We are under the wrath of God. We deserve to be punished. Paul makes uh, the serious nature of sin clear, of our treason clear, for the wages of sin is death. Wages are what are earned. And when we sin, we earn death. This is our inheritance from our father Adam. This is the curse. The curse of sin and death. Paul in Galatians 3.20 quotes Deuteronomy 27.26. He writes, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. According to God's word, all who do not obey the law at every point, every time, are cursed. Again, the standard is perfection. And remember, uh, the, 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 the law includes, among many other things, loving uh, God with everything you have. So I think it's clear we are subject to the curse of sin and death. And it gets worse. We're not just talking about physical death, but eternal death. Eternal separation from God. Paul, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica regarding the fate of those who do not know God. Chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. This does not sound very hopeful. So what are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Now, this is where it gets really tough. If I, had, if I have a need, and I can meet that need on my own, with my own resources, then that's not so bad, right? If I'm hungry or thirsty, and I have a, 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 a wallet with some cash in it, I can buy some food and some water. I can deal with my needs. So, so if there were a way for me to take care of my own sin if there were a possibility that I could obey this law, then my need would not be so great. I would have hope, right? But that is not the case. Scripture is clear. We're in no position to meet our own needs in this area. Paul understood this about himself. In Romans 7.24, he wrote, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is the Apostle Paul, remember? Uh, remember, he's our, he's our example, right? And he understood he was a wretched man who needed deliverance. Who will save me because I'm wretched and cannot save myself? This is the state we find ourselves in. Under sin and death and judgment, we're cursed and completely incapable of doing anything about it. We are in reality without hope. Now, with that, uh, if you don't see your need, if you believe that you can deal with your own sin, you know, that you're somehow going to pull off some lot of good deeds or something, 
then the promise of a Savior given in the Word of God doesn't mean anything to you. It doesn't give you hope in Christ's coming because you don't believe you need Christ to come. But for those who realize their great need and their inability to do anything about it, then the coming of Christ is the coming of hope. Because third, third point, hope is received through Christ. In the last uh, point, number two, we looked at uh, several verses, right? And if you have your Bibles open, or if you're a Bible scholar, or you know the Bible a little bit, you might have noticed that in some cases I didn't use the complete verse. I, I usually don't like to do that. I don't like to just pick a part of a verse. I didn't read the next verse. I didn't give any context. I did this because the point was to show our great need. To show our hopeless condition without Christ. But now uh, that we know what our need is, Need has been established. We can look at the second parts of these verses. We can look a little bit of the context. It's in this context that we see that our hope comes through Christ alone. That's what we find in God's Word everywhere. We've, we, we read 1 Corinthians 15.22 again, For as in Adam all die, as children of Adam were subject to the penalty of sin, which is death. But Paul continues, So also in Christ shall all be made alive. There it is. In Christ, we're made alive. In Christ, we're not subject to eternal death, eternal damnation, eternal destruction. He's paid the penalty for our sin that we might live. And that promise gives us hope. Romans 3.23, we read, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us proves our relationship with Adam by our sin. We glorify other things instead of God. We fall short of God's holy standard. But fortunately, Romans 3.24, Paul adds, and are justified, made right by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We sin, we fall short of God's glory, but because of grace... This amazing word, amazing concept, amazing component of God's nature, uh, God's unmerited favor towards us, nothing you can do to earn it. Because He sent Jesus, because Jesus came, because Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and mine, because Jesus uh, has redeemed us, He's bought us back with His own blood. We're justified before God. We're declared righteous before God. And therefore, we can now enter into relationship with Him. And there's more. Romans 6.23 we read, For the wages of sin is death. When we sin, we earn death. It's our wages. It's, it's, it's our rightful wages. But that's not the end. Paul adds, But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Instead of wages, we can receive a, a free gift. Instead of eternal death, eternal separation from God, we can receive eternal life in Christ Jesus. Then in Galatians 3.10, we read, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Since we can never abide by all things written in the book of the law, we can't even love God as He deserves, then we're under God's curse. However... A couple verses down, verse 13, 
We read, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Yes, we're under a, a curse, but because of Jesus' death on the cross, because He hung on a tree, we are redeemed from the curse of the law. We're no longer under the law with its curse, but under grace with its love and mercy and forgiveness. Hallelujah. Then finally, Romans 7.24, Paul's personal uh, testimony. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We're all wretched men and women, subject to the frailties of this human, sinful, fleshly body. And in that state, we're subject to death. Who will deliver us? Well, next verse. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ delivers us from our wretched state. He frees us from our slavery to sin. And through the power of of the Holy Spirit that He gives us, He enables us to overcome sin in our lives. Thanks be to God. Our only hope comes through Christ Jesus. In the hymn we sang earlier, The Solid Rock, Edward Mote wrote, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. The question we must ask ourselves this morning Uh, what is your hope built on? What is your hope built on? Is it built on your own abilities? Is it built on your ability to be good, to do good deeds? Is it built on your intellect, your understanding? You can figure this out. If that's the case, then Scripture is clear. Without Christ, you are under a curse. You're a slave to sin. You're subject to eternal death. Without Christ, you have no hope. And if that describes you, if you have have not given yourself to Christ, if you've not trusted in Him alone, if your hope is not in Him, if you're hoping in something else, if you're hoping in yourself, then I'd encourage you to repent and be reconciled to God through Christ Jesus. To turn from your sin to turn from your reliance on self and give yourself completely to Jesus. And if if that's something you desire to do, whether you're here physically, whether you're watching online, all you need to do is have faith to believe, to trust in Jesus Christ. Go to God in prayer. Express your desire to trust in Him. Express your desire to follow Christ. And then go to a Christian friend or family member, a church leader, a pastor, even me, and tell them that that you've trusted in Christ and want to grow in your relationship with Him. And keep going to people until someone is willing to help you in this new journey of hope in Christ. Now for those uh, whose hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, whether you built that hope right now today or or it's it's been there for the last 40 years, For those who've given themselves completely to Christ, for those for whom Jesus is your Savior and your Lord, what do you do? Well, I say you rejoice in the Lord. I mean, seriously. You are no longer 
under a curse. You've been set free from the power of sin. Christ has promised to come into your life to eat with you, to sup with you, to fellowship with you today. Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the Prince of Peace, the mighty God is, is, is offering to come into you. He's promised to forgive your sin, to reconcile you with God the Father and to provide you with eternal life. He's given you those things. If that's not cause for celebration, then nothing is. And I'd encourage each one of us to celebrate the hope we've received and remember what it, what it means to celebrate, to praise, to honor to glorify. We celebrate Christ. We celebrate God by praising them with our lips and by the way we live. If you have hope in Christ, if you have a confident expectation that He saved you from your sin and saved you to a new and eternal life in His presence, then your response, my response, must be to praise and honor and glorify Him with, with our words and our deeds. Put simply, uh, with a sure hope, we're to live wholly and completely for Him. Would you pray with me to that end? Father God, I pray for, for any who've, who've heard this, who uh, haven't given their lives to you, Father. I pray that they would see their need for you. Pray that, 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 that all pretense, all belief that they can somehow earn your favor or earn the favor of some other God would just fall away and they would see their need for a Savior, for Christ, and they would turn to you, receive you. Lord, and for those of us, myself included, who've received you many years ago, Lord, that we would, that we would know the hope that you've given us, the inheritance, the great inheritance that you've offered. And we would, we would hope in that, confident expectation in that. We would realize all you've done for us, Lord, and we would seek uh, day by day, Lord, that we would grow in our ability to love you with our, all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength, that every part of us would be dedicated to your praise and your honor and your glory. Lord, I pray that you would help us with that, we somehow are still feeble, and we need your Spirit to empower us to love you, to honor you, to glorify you, and to hope in you. Please do that for us, in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you as you're dismissed. Uh, be here next week where the theme will be peace. Peace with God. Peace with God as you go.